Hello and welcome to Save That. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. This is the podcast where your big questions get real answers. I forgot that part. We've just come from behaving at the Christmas party and um, <laughs> it's going to be a little ramshackle, folks. Woo! I hate to warn you, but I am always joined by the founder of Mission Osea, Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm goofy on Christmas cookies. <laughs> Very well. Just all goofed up, man. Also, director of Mission Osea Productions, Jed Brewer. And what delicious cookies they were. Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I saw an Instagram story where there was bacon wrapped something with caramel, and my jealousy was paramount. Yeah. There may or may not have been pigs in a blanket. Wow. But instead of using, like, you know, bread like a chump, <laughs> we may have used um, brown sugar infused bacon yeah. as wow. something to wrap it with. Yeah. Because nothing says uh, Merry Christmas like a coronary. <laughs> just a just a New Year's stint. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you feel a warmth in your heart during the holidays. Sometimes it's there's actually something wrong. There. That warmth in your heart starts spreading down your left arm. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, here's the thing. It's I think it's you know with the with the cookies and the and the the you know uh, caramelized bacon and everything. It's easy to feel uh, uh, you know warm spirit in the in the the season of Christmas, but. It's also easy to feel the cold sting of guilt and shame. And because of that, I need to announce and declare a Christmas emergency. An emergency? Whoa. Ooh. It's it's a This emergency has bells with it. Exactly. Here's the thing. Our friend uh our friend Jake uh was you know, he was out doing the good work of a say that super fan, just keeping his eyes wide open. Yep. And uh out doing the, the Christmas shopping. He found a sweater, you know, which is, you know, it's, uh, for a good say that super fan, that already, you know, gets the hackles up. You see yeah, a sweater. Sure. Anyway, that raises alarm bells. In the wild. He saw a sweater. This is one of those kind of Christmas sweaters where there's a lot of stuff knitted and sewn into the, mm. you know, into the front of the deal. And this Christmas sweater has um, the, the, the old Patriarch Moses from the Old Testament. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, he's standing... Upon Mount Sinai, uh, mm. surrounded by, he's it's he's in Christmas colored robes. He's surrounded by various Christmas decorations. Behind him is a burning bush. He's holding up what you think is the tablets of the Ten Commandments, right? But really, <laughs> it says naughty. It's the naughty list, what? and he's <laughs> and he's pointing a finger. Just pointing at people with a furrowed brow. It's the God-inscribed, on tablets of stone, naughty list Christmas sweater. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, what I love about this, and I'm looking at the image as we speak, is, you know, as Lee mentions, often when we see Moses depicted holding the uh, the tablets, A, we don't see that involving Christmas, because you missed by several centuries there, friend. But (laughs) you know, he'll have the... Yeah, he'll have like one through five in one arm and, you know, six through ten in the other. So, But in this one, he's holding clearly two tablets. I don't know if the other one's a nice list or naughty list part two in one hand. And his left arm is just outstretched with the (laughs) finger pointing towards... Shame! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you cannot miss that this is an accusational point. Yeah. (laughs) The only confusing part 
is whether this is meant to be Moses with the naughty list or Santa cosplaying as Moses. Sure. Wow. Is this wow. Moses cosplaying as Santa or Santa cosplaying as Moses? Because it's a white guy with a long white beard. Sure. Which, um, swing and a miss, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I can't, I, now I can't erase the image of just what else would Santa cosplay as? You know, I oh, mean, like yeah. other Santa cosplay thing. This is an amazing idea that Santa would cosplay as Moses. The other thing is for me is when you see Moses holding the tablets, you can't not think about the the video game that the Flanders kids played in uh, the <laughs> Simpsons. Would you be referring to Billy Graham's Bible Blasters? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just grazed him, and now he's a Unitarian. <laughs> oh, conversion! Here's what I'm saying is. I've met legalistic people in my life. Sure. I've met really legalistic people yes. in my life. Like yes. they're going for the high score. Yes. Kind of thing. <laughs> but here's the thing is if you're so legalistic, you will knit yes. a burning yeah. bush yes. into a Christmas sweater. Yeah. You've really gone there, man. Yeah. Because you want you you don't want someone to think it's just Moses and he came up with his own stone tablet no, of right naughty now. things. <laughs> you want a burning bush that is instructing Moses to ruin Christmas yes. by telling you that you're naughty. Yes, that's correct. That's a heck of a thing there. I think that is the thing about it. I don't and I don't know if these were mass produced or if this is a if Jake was in some kind of boutique Christmas sweater shop where these were one runs. Right. But either way, there's a commitment to legalism here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. whether this was somebody sat down and, you know, knit one Pearl 2 the whole time or, you know, commissioned these to be made. Right. That's, uh, whew. I mean, we all get caught, even those of us who are scoundrels, get caught in moments of legalism and judgment. Right. In that moment, you say, well, I, I think that person feels well. And then you catch yourself, say, okay, well, it, right. it's not really how it works. You really had to stick with it. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the, the other thing that you pointed out is that there's a cross <laughs> on there because for a moment I was super excited that this might be a Hanukkah sweater and maybe they're catching some of this stuff, not just us. I mean, yeah. you, you right, want to right, think right. that it gets spread around sure. a little bit, but uh, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, sure. that's, that's all it's Christian all the Christians. Yeah. Are, are there people who are really legalistic about Festivus? <laughs> Like, it started out as kind of an anti-holiday yeah, joke, no, and now they're no. real hardcore about it. No, the feats of strength. I mean, you oh, can't yeah. do that halfway. I mean, come on. Airing of grievances is never done halfway. Also, sure. I'm pretty sure that uh, Santa would cosplay as the Gordon's Fisherman. I can okay, see that. that's pretty low impact. I can see that. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Now, would that be cosplay, or that would, just, would that just be when Santa's falling on hard times in the off-season? <laughs> He just and he's got to take to see. Yeah. Instead of the red coat, he grabs the yellow Macintosh. Yeah, yeah and he goes out and just does yeah. some, uh, you know, uh, yeah. gets on the trawler. Because, you know, he only works the, really the one night a year. But, right. you know, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, kind of Black Friday style. You know, you, you hope that that profit carries you through the whole, you know, fiscal right. year. But maybe sometimes you got to jump on a trawler and, uh, you know, catch yourself some deep sea bass. Well, I, I think what we've blown wide open here is... Is Santa getting a cut of the sweater money? Ooh. Interesting. Ooh. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Interesting. I think, uh, you know, because why is he going out fishing? You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, if he's, uh, I don't know what the licensing deal is on that. I don't sure. know if there's points on the back end. Well, copyright yeah. law gets a little weird and this at the North Pole. It's a little bit much sometimes. Yeah. Once you start embroidering, who knows where the cuts are going? But here's here's an interesting question for me. When when I the other thought I had when I saw this sweater was, you know, 
whenever we've had legalistic Jed on the show before, he's usually perturbed. You know, sure, yes. he's usually right, yes. he's usually he's 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 got an axe to grind, and he's usually pretty pissed off. My question is like, uh, if legalistic somebody, Jed would not care for that language. No, not it, at all. <laughs> that's true. But if somebody took this, the Moses with the naughtiest sweater wrapped it up in a box, and put it under the Christmas tree for Legalistic Jed. And he unwrapped this on Christmas morning. What would, like, a gleeful Legalistic Jed be like when he saw that this sweater was now his to shame the people with? Well, Lee, I'm glad that you've asked. (laughs) I view this as a temptation Mm. from the evil one. (laughs) <laughs> Given my love of moral rectitude, of course, yes, I am tantalized by um, such fetching. Um, you, you'd options. say you're tantalized because of your rectitude. Yes, you said yes. Okay. Uh, but I take umbrage, if you will, um, with a number of details uh, in this situation. First of all, we you're, all know that just our to Lord. Clarify though, you're taking umbrage in your rectitude. Yes, that's okay. correct. That's Fine. how it yes, works. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I fail to see what's noteworthy about any part of that. No, I know you but, do. Just clarifying. Um, we all know that our Lord was not born on the 25th of December. That, of course, right. is a pagan holiday. Yes, um, and I, for one, do not worship false gods. Uh, I find <laughs> the celebration of Christmas in late December to be um, offensive. Right, the Saturnalia and all that. Quite. Uh, secondarily, of course, I am a stickler for <laughs> biblical accuracy. Uh-huh. Is that right? And uh, the mixing of um, Moses with uh, the cross on which our Lord died is, of course, grossly inaccurate and right. uh, quite offensive. I think that um, the person or persons, uh, these <laughs> things are rarely done in isolation, mm-hmm. who are responsible for this blasphemy— Yeah should uh, be ashamed of themselves, deeply, right. deeply ashamed, and should flee the wrath that is to come. Well, here's oh, that's what's on your sweater, I noticed. That's nice. <laughs> here's what I'm getting out of that, is that it makes you unspeakably happy because it makes you unhappy. That's exactly, exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It, it gives you something that you can uh, be offended by, and that's, that's your greatest joy. I'm delighted by how disgusted I am. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I notice that's on your sweater vest. <laughs> Someone in the legalistic Jed family is a very talented knitter. Also, I want to point out, just pull the camera back a little bit, go behind the curtain. So Jed, in, in his funny character bit there, dropped rectitude. Yeah. Right. I think we had a lot of fun with that. Right. Yeah. And then he, he, he laid the trap of Stickler. Yeah. And I'm yeah. proud of us for all sidestepping it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I'm a stickler about rectitude, bro. Yeah, that's that's kind of what. Yeah, without the voice, it sounds even worse. Sometimes. Meetings, <laughs> meetings. There will yeah. be meetings. Thank you. We're Thank you. building character here on the show. Today. That's right. It's a journey of growth. Well, as we wrap In this your rectitude. up, yes. I want to give us one one more concept uh, based on this to to challenge our imaginations. Maybe let the people can think about this because this will be the last episode that comes out kind of before the Christmas holidays. So if you if you need a place to go in your mind while you're at church or with family or whatever to make you happy. When Aunt Margaret asks you again about why you're not dating anyone. Right. Yeah. Yep. Margaret. Yeah. Um, so but here's what I wondered. So we have Moses, Santa as Moses, handing down the naughty list on tablets. I'm wondering what other weird kind of um, Christmas stuff, Bible stuff, smash-ups we could have. Sure, yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, Rudolph denied Santa three times, but he was put in charge of things anyway. <laughs> right, right, yes. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 
I'm picturing a nativity scene, but instead of, you know, your cows and your donkeys and whatnot, it's all the various beasts described in Revelation. Oh, that's good. So, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about uh, Frosty the Snowman refusing to bow down to the 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 uh, statue in Babylon. They, they're, so they're threatening to throw him in the fiery furnace. Yeah, yeah exactly. puddle on the ground. That is well done, sir. Yeah. That yeah. is well done. I'm thinking about rectitude and how I shouldn't say anything about it. <laughs> that's good. Uh, just my whole brain was on that. Sure, no, no. It's, you got to so, uh, allocate your resources where you need I them. I think that's what we were all hoping I would do. Is <laughs> sure. Just focus on that. Yeah, no, I just think that's Hold fine. the line. Well, with that, uh, well, I, I do have to say, whenever one of my favorite things is whenever uh, Legalistic Jed comes into play, the glee on Glenn's face, <laughs> yeah. especially the glee when, when, when innuendos are sidestepped. Is, right. is so much. The only glee that tops Glenn's face is the glee on Glenn's face when Palpatine Jed comes back. That's my favorite. Play. That's, the, that's, that's my the, absolute favorite. Takes yeah. the complete cake. But you got to save that, that one. Lee, to, to that end, actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is the last episode before uh, Christmas. Yeah. And right. Guys, we love you a lot. We're, we're so glad that you yeah. listened. On, on behalf of, of all of us here on the show, we just want to wish you all the Merry Christmas! <laughs> Topical. Hey, look, topical. I know, I know, Jed's uh, kidding around, but uh, we really do love all of our listeners, and I love you guys. Yeah, and I mean that from the anus of my heart. Oh wow! <laughs> well, I, you know, look, if you guys are offended by that, I'll say the bottom of my heart. Okay, sure. if that makes you and feel we're better, sacrifice medical accuracy. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I think it's pretty clear that whoever made the sweater, we are all on the naughty list. Yeah, yeah. And there will be meetings, and on that basis, I declare emergency off. Mm. Let the record show I tried to end that segment. Yes, you did. About two (laughs) minutes early. You did. Because we've been doing this show for almost 300 episodes, and I can feel it coming. Yeah. Yeah, you... You (laughs) You can smell it. You you saw it coming. You, You did your best. It just, it wasn't quite uh, enough. and That's really the story of this show yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay, well, another thing we do our best on that we often does not involve any rectitude or any uh, horrific, horrific uh, innuendo of any kind is Bridgebox. Ah! Mm. That's because of Bridgebox, we recorded Glenn's sermons. A, he does them in front of a live audience, which tempers things. And then we do a nice editing pass sometimes. <laughs> just smooth out the bumps there, and you really get a, a tight... Family-friendly product. Mm. Not only that, you get songs, you get Bible studies, all sorts of great stuff. Check out missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Only $8 a month. We comes out the first of every month. It's the number one way that folks who like the show can support the work we do up here in Chicago and what Lee does with the youths down there in Tennessee. 2018 will be a great time to jump on missionusa.com slash bridgebox. And we'll close out the show with a Bridgebox track from this month, but Ooh. we'll get there. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. House, all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. This question came into our Tumblr inbox, and it says, Can you explain 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6, specifically verse 5, where it talks about keeping our thoughts captive and making those thoughts be obedient to Christ? What does Paul mean in the context of this verse and chapter, and what does keeping our thoughts captive practically look like today? 
Personally, I have a hard time winning the battle in my own thought life, listening to the world world, and my own negative ideas about myself rather than what God thinks and says about me. The scripture has been on my mind for months, and I know there's something there that I just haven't been able to break through yet. Thank you so much. And uh, Glenn, it's a, it is a verse we reference a lot. It's a concept yeah. that comes up, and I think it's a it's a great uh, question to get some clarification on, some follow up on. So why don't you start us off? Well, yeah, I think the the key uh, term there that you're looking at is that idea of keeping our thoughts captive, mm-hmm. uh, taking them captive as as we're uh, getting to negative ways of thinking, neg- negative thought patterns. We want to arrest those thoughts. Uh, the the Greek word and uh, and uh, this one is this one's a mouthful. Uh, it's ek melotos, uh, and that's basically a compound word. Ekme, uh, which is a spear, and luskamai, which is uh, to be taken or conquered. And you think of that in a military sense. Sure. So it's um, I I think the picture that that's giving us in our in our head is the idea of something that would be attacking us that we are instead conquering and taking over. And and so there's sort of a battle imagery Mm -hmm. happening there. Uh, And so, um, and that's how it feels, you know, when we're having those negative thoughts, it's an attack that's coming in and we're trying to counteract that uh, by sort of fighting back and then, and then capturing those thoughts and keeping them from doing what they want to do running around in our head. But the other side of this is, that we, we have to understand that's the goal, uh, but step one is diagnosing where are these thoughts really coming from. Mm. I mean, there's plenty of negative thoughts and weird temptations that I have just seem to come out of nowhere. But if it's a consistent pattern that you're fighting and you're you're struggling with and feel like you're not overcoming, that's probably coming from something specific that you're struggling with, that you're dealing with. So we need to go back and look at where are those thoughts coming from and look at uh, how do we need to deal with that differently? And I'll let these guys uh, uh, expand on that. Uh, but I, I think step one in that direction, or the the beginning mentality as we go in that direction, uh, we uh, a while back, uh, uh, Jed, I think it was you were talking was talking about uh, a buddy of yours that was working out, and he said something about blasting his quads. Sure, is that, is that something like that? Roughly speaking, you know. So that's uh, we we adopted that phrase you got to blast your quads right to to mean be intense in a way that's definitely not going to help anything yeah it'll probably make everything worse <laughs> right <laughs> so there's a lot of people in their spiritual life that are really blasting their quads totally they're hardcore uh it's not really working uh you know the bible talks about uh, this the, this harsh treatment of the body that doesn't yield spiritual uh benefit uh, this is this is exactly that. Well, you're blasting your willpower quads, which is great on this, but uh, we need to uh, uh, blast your brain quads. Oh, that's good. <laughs> we yeah. may be getting a little lost in the analogy here, Glenn. Uh, definitely we are, and I wish I'd known that before I'd gone in. But here's what I'm saying now. <laughs> <They do>. is, <laughs> exactly. Here's what I'm saying is, you got to. Uh, uh, the, we have to have an understanding first before we can deal with the attacking and arresting right. and uh, and taking control part. I think that's a really great point, and it's definitely one of those things. And a lot about uh, this topic, because I think as we get further into it, we'll find that 
Um, the headline of this gets used a lot in kind of church stuff and Christian stuff, but the actual effective ways to do that don't as much. You know? yeah. you got you know, to take thoughts captive, and you got to root sin out, and all that stuff. And then you get the same people say, I couldn't even imagine wanting to do naughty stuff. What kind of terrible people want to do naughty things? Let's just not even think about it mm. and just sit here swaddled and just be fine. <laughs> like, well, yeah. if you're gonna, if you're, as you're saying, you know, if somebody's charging out of the spear, you got to have a certain understanding of how spearing someone works. If you're gonna, gonna flip that around, and Absolutely. Jed, maybe you can pick us, pick it up for us, Eric. I think exactly uh, what Glenn is talking to about that understanding then transitions us to the context in which we un- want to understand that. Because sure. as in a lot of where we get uh, tripped up, and it's certainly not just our friend around the question, um, a big spiritual idea like take your thoughts captive sounds great, but we do have to break that down into bite-sized pieces to be able to do something. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, maybe let's begin here. You know, Paul is using a lot of military language in this passage, mm-hmm. you know, spears and, and armies and fighting. And here's the thing about uh, armies is that they have a goal. Mm-hmm. Armies don't get in a fight just for the sake of getting in a fight. Let's do combat now. Right. What do you guys want to do today? Invade something? <laughs> Dude, I was thinking maybe a war. That sounds great. That's not how it works. You know, uh, armies have goals. Take this hill, you know, subdue this enemy, conquer this right. province. They're, they're in an armed conflict because that's what's required in order to achieve this goal. Well, here's, here's why it matters for you. I think for a lot of Christians, they start to get the idea that the, the fight is the goal. You know, the devil is going to try and, and, you know, mess with me in my head and I'm going to fight back. And kind of that's, that's the whole thing. The, the fight is the thing and the goal is to fight perfectly. And that's what I want to, to uh, arrive at. Well, actually, kind of every part of that is wrong. Um, As so often happens when Christians say things. Yeah. Uh, the first thing is, um, if we don't have a sense of the goal that we're trying to achieve, then um, we're unlikely to win that fight. And even if we do, in a sense, it doesn't exactly, exactly matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to have a sense of... You know, big picture, the things that God is calling us to in our lives, but also in a more immediate sense of just what are, what are the areas that God is calling me to grow in, you know, this week in my life. And that means that there are, if I have a sense of that, you know, maybe God's really calling for me to grow in my self-image, you know, and, and really not give in to, to insecurity and, and self-pity, for example. Well, that may mean that there are certain thoughts that come into my head where I say, no, I will, if it takes all day, I'm wrestling this to the ground. Right. I'm, not, I'm not playing with this because I have a goal. My goal is to get into a better place in the way that I approach my self-image. And this thought flies in the face of that. I'm not playing with this. We have other thoughts maybe to do with anger. We say, yeah, yeah just you know, try and keep it to a dull roar. We, we actually can't fight to a standstill every single thought that, that yeah. you know, comes into our head. We've got to pick our battles, and we pick our battles based on goals, based on the thing that the Lord is, is asking us to, to do and to pursue and to achieve. The second thing of it is understanding the way that fighting works. My wife is a very, very trained uh, martial artist and combatant. And one of the things that she reports is if, you, if someone has a knife and they're between you and the exit, so you have to fight them, again, there's a goal, go into that embracing you are going to get cut and don't worry about it. The goal is to end this as quickly as possible and escape this thing. But if someone has a knife, you're going to get cut. 
accept that as you go into it. Same thing in a boxing match. You're going to get punched. Accept that going into it. You're going to take hits in this thing. Christians have a way of saying, well, I didn't do that perfectly, so that probably means that I failed. No, you got cut. That's what happens in a knife fight. You got punched. That's what happens in a boxing match. The issue is, did you get to the exit? The issue is, did you achieve the goal? But again, to go all the way back, we actually can't evaluate that if we don't have a sense of what the goal is. We need a clear sense, both big picture of where the Lord's leading us in our life and also more near immediate term of the stuff we're working on today and this week and this month. And then we do the best job that we can in the Lord's strength in that fight, recognizing that it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. Absolutely. And we stand by this show's guarantee of more knife fight analogies (laughs) than any other Christian podcast or your money back. That's right. And I think it's a fantastic point. Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there with an idea that Jed was giving us, which is I think one thing people can get confused on with this is, yes, and we say it a lot on the show, it's absolutely true, there will always be a fight in your spiritual life. That, that's mm-hmm. always going to happen. There's always going to be some obstacle to overcome some burden. That's not the same thing as thinking it's in, holy to always be, as Jed's pointing out, in the same fight. Yeah, We need to do some—there uh, are some we will move on from and just over overcome. There are some, as Jed's pointing out here, that we will— uh, put at bay long enough to do the next step here. So, Lee, one of the things I'd love for you to get into here is what, where do we find the difference between a thought that is maybe unpleasant but has a point? Mm-hmm. Uh, we would probably use the term conviction for that or something like that, or criti- yeah. a valid criticism, versus some of these things that we just need to, uh, to wrestle and hogtie down and move past. That's a really, really sharp uh, distinction. And I think that t- in, in order to answer that, it, it's it's kind of cool where Jed took us with the the idea of you have goals and the Lord has goals for your life. Well, the enemy who's lying to you, he's got goals for your life too, oddly. Amen. And so what one of the questions we want to ask is like, you know, I mean, thoughts and feelings come into my head and into my perception, into my heart unbidden. You know, they're like like Glenn said, you know, at the very beginning of this, I got thoughts. I don't know where that came from. That was weird. That was crazy. I've never thought anything like that before. If I said that out loud, people would think I was a sociopath. Like, I don't even know where, I don't know, I don't, I've never felt like that before. This is such a weird thought. One of the questions I want to ask myself is, what's the goal of this thing? This feeling or this thought that I'm experiencing right now, what would it have me do? Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of arresting that is to say, yes, I thought that really weird or really wacky or really messed up thing. I'm not doing that. Um, period. The end. That's where that ends. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that the Lord has goals for me, the the enemy has goals for you too. A lot of times, like if you get into a situation where you're serving Jesus in some way, in some kind of ministry capacity you are going to feel and think things that are horrible about yourself. It, when when people show up a little late to the thing, you're going to feel terrible about the service that you're doing. When um, somebody has a weird look on their face when you're giving a talk or answering a question, you're going to feel all kinds of weird stuff about that. And there's all these thoughts that come into your head of, they think you suck, no one is listening, they think this is whatever, whatever. And the goal of those thoughts coming into your head is, I want you to quit. I want you to walk away from this. Um, what what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is that we do battle with weapons that are not of this world. He said, we tear down every, every lie that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
And the, the things that God says about you, um, the enemy doesn't want you to believe them. He, he says, when a person is doing a ministry, they go, they, maybe they sow a seed, maybe they water a seed. I'm the one that makes it grow. That's what God says about that stuff. I do all of the magical everything. And you just show up and do your chores and let me handle the growing of the thing. And what the enemy wants you to think is, you suck at growing stuff, you should probably quit. So this is just a small example of like, I have these thoughts that come into my head or this feeling that comes into my heart. It's a discouragement. It's an insecurity. It's a whatever. The way that I arrest that is I I <clears throat> find out what is the goal of this thing? The goal of it is to get me to quit. Well, I'm not quitting. I'm going to do it anyway. As Jed said, and as Glenn said, it's it's not that my goal is to do every situation perfectly with the greatest attitude. Like, I won that battle because I just had a great attitude the whole time. I was just skippy and the whole deal. No, I won the battle because I did the thing. Yeah, I went ahead and showed up and didn't quit or whatever the thing is. Um, one of the things about this is, and, and it, it, it might not be something huge like that. It might just be a, a small, subtle thing where it's like, you know what, this thought in my head is telling me to is telling me to be jealous and to hate this person and to whatever. And I do feel those feelings of jealousy right now. The goal of that is to get me to go ahead and talk about them to somebody else. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'll even say a prayer for them, and then I'm going to walk away from this whole thing. This is how we start to learn how to arrest these unbidden thoughts and feelings that come in, is what is this, what is this insidious goal? What, what, is, what does the lie want me to do? I'm not doing it. Yeah. I may feel crappy. I may feel insecure. I may feel jealous. I may feel discouraged, whatever. I'm not doing the thing. If you have trouble determining if this thing is a wacky, weird, you know, unbidden, whatever, a, a, a thought from the enemy, or like Matt's saying, a conviction, that's where you've got to have people in your life who are have a mature relationship with the Lord, who who know you and that you can trust. And you can say, hey, I had this weird thought or whatever in my head. What do you think about that? And if they look at you and say, dude, that is, that is not God's truth. That is not you. That is, dude, I, let me tell you something. This is what I think about you, blah, blah, blah. Or they might say, Dude, you're exactly right. That person needs to be called out. We need to deal with it now. We need to whatever. So, or we need to we need to change tack on this whatever it is. If you've got people in your life like that that you can air this stuff out, they can help you uh determine what is the lie and what might be a conviction from the Lord. That's an important step. But I think for the most part, what we want to look at is what is the goal of this thing? If I know this is if I know this is a lie, I don't want to chase it to the end and do what it's telling me to do. Really, really good stuff on that. We're going to move on to our second question here. This one came into our email address. It says, my family is on the verge of a cold war, and I feel like I kind of caused it. My sister did something behind my mom's back, which pissed her off big time. I actually could have stopped that or alerted my mom about it, but I didn't, and now things are escalating, and I feel guilty about not doing the right thing at that moment. What do I do? And Chad, there's a lot going on here, and there's some specifics. Uh, we didn't, I didn't include the questions. You know, we try to keep things as anonymous as we can. But one of the things that I maybe would like to start with is, is as we often talk about the show about reasonable expectations, yeah. is the idea that, um, you see, my, my sister did something behind my mom's back, and she's right. pissed. I could have just told my mom that my sister was planning on doing something behind sure. her back. 
and then everybody would be happy. Absolutely. That's the kind of thing that as Glenn often says, sounds crazy when I say it out loud. Yeah. But it's easier for us to, especially there, those of us who maybe in our family or friend group have kind of fallen into that peacemaker role yeah. to think that way. And what are some of the things we can look at to understand, is this a situation where we often talk on the show again about kind of, you know, people not stepping up and cowardice and backing down. And what's the difference between this is something I should have done and I didn't step up to the plate. And sure. this was kind of going to go pear shaped no matter how it went down. <laughs> sure. Sure. Those are great questions. And, um, I, I'm sure I'm not alone amongst my hosts. I grew up in a family that was just drama and people at each other's throats 24 hours a day. And I'm sorry you're dealing with that. That's yeah. a crappy way to live. Um, I can tell you that the moments to go to someone and say, there's a naughty thing you are engaged in doing and you should not do it. They do exist, but they're very few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in general, that's kind of an emergency level thing. That's, you know, you are about to, <laughs> it's funny, I was about to use an inappropriate word. Good. Um, Good catch, Jed. Thank you. Uh, you. You are about to mess yourself up in there a way. There we go. Yeah. You're about to mess yourself up in a way that's going to be hard to fix um, on the order of like the next 10 years of your life. So, um I am informing you this is a dumb idea. Now, here's the crazy thing is that rarely works. There are moments when it's appropriate, but it almost never yields the results you hope it will. Right. Uh, it, again, there's moments where it's still worth doing, but um, the moments where it's worth doing and it, you know, they go, wow, that's really glad you said something, are almost zero. <laughs> so there, there's that. That's worth looking at. Um, and there are moments where it's appropriate to go to an authority figure and say, this thing that doesn't involve me is going on, but I'm aware of it and I'm making you aware of it. Those moments do exist where that's appropriate to do. They're also pretty few and far between. Um, and actually, you can tell when this is one of those moments because most of those are mandated by law. Um, so, uh, if, if you don't have a legal obligation to, if you'll pardon the phrase to be a tattletale, then, uh, you probably shouldn't be. No, uh, that's the term they use in court. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think this is, is the key thing is in 99% of cases, p the people doing the dumb stuff, they know it's dumb and they know they shouldn't be doing it and they're choosing to do it anyway. Um, and the authority figure that's going to be mad about it, they kind of already suspect dumb stuff is going on. So, um, but you know what happens a lot, and it's certainly been true in my life, is there tends to be, Matt used the phrase, you know, people being in peacemaker roles, which certainly sounds like it describes our question asker. There tends to, to sometimes be a dynamic where the misbehavior, the misbehaving person and the authority figure kind of want you to be on the lookout for ways you can fix their problems and make things better. Yep. And that is not fair to you. Uh, cause a, um, you don't have the power to do that. You don't have the power to make people behave themselves or be cool about stuff. Uh, and it's also not your job. Um, you've got your own life to sort out. You know, you've got your own life to live. You asked, what do I do? Look, I don't know if you should have said something or not. The truth is there's a lot of details and variables there, but this much I do know if they're mad at each other, that's on the two of them. Yep. Um, they, they got to sort that out. Uh, most importantly, you deserve better than living out your days surrounded by constant drama and bickering and stupid conflict. Yeah. Um, I, I want to encourage you to invest in health 
healthy relationships that are not based on drama and guilt and manipulation. Those are probably going to be relationships with people you're not related to. And I'm sorry for that. You, yeah. you deserve to have a good family. It, it sounds like maybe you don't. Um, but you need, you deserve and you need relationships that are healthy and functional and uplifting rather than dragging you down. And I want to encourage you, rather than trying to figure out how do I fix the unfixable, how do I be a savior I can't be to people who don't want to be saved, I want to encourage you to invest in relationships with people that love you and want to build you up and help you become the person God made you to be. Obviously, the place we want to land in a really, really smart take on that. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick up another aspect of this. So there is... um while we're dealing with fault from this, well, again, as Jed said, maybe you should have said something, maybe you shouldn't have. It's, we can move past that because he didn't, and we're here now. Um, so, uh, but while we're, we're trying to manage the drama at home, while we're trying to uh, kind of take shelter from that, start to invest in these healthy relationships, we, if we still have to deal with this, they say, you know, what do I do? And again, coming from a kind of situation where this happened a lot, I can understand the impulse to think, okay, how do I have an active part in making this whole thing better. And there may be some things you can do, but maybe the place we should start as Jed is leading us to is, is that really even the thing we're being called to do here? Yeah, really the, the, the real decision to make is, is this a relationship ending problem? Is it massive? You know, is it massive harmful? Like Jed saying that the, the way that Jed said, is this going to mess somebody's life up for the next 10 years kind of deal? Um, is it like that, or is this drama? And the the unfortunate thing is, if it's <clears throat> if it's drama, a lot of people live there, man, and a lot of people like it. Um, a lot of people don't know that they are in a relationship unless it has drama in it, and that's an odd thing. But it's it's uh, it, it's certainly a true thing. Now, I mean, if you are in a situation where it's like you know people are making relationship ending decisions or you know what and really really harmful stuff, and you feel like you had uh, you know you had at some point there was some role where you felt led I should have said something, and you felt like I just didn't know how to do it or I chickened out or whatever that thing is. I mean, you know, it's like there's always a way for you to go and and bring light into that and say, I, you know, I knew about this at a certain point and I didn't do anything. I just didn't know how to do this. And I want to be, I want to be upfront about it and that kind of stuff. Cause maybe, you know, maybe the authority figure, you know, just needs the information or whatever the situation is. It's really, really hard for us to kind of make a call on this without having all the details. But for the most part, and when you can go into a situation and say, here's, I'm laying out all the cards. I want to bring as much light into this as possible. You can end some miscommunication with some communication. But for the most part, um, even when you do that, if it's, if it's high tension, if it's dramatic, it's going to be a mess. Um, yeah. I, the, I have so many situations with, you know, with, with friends, with, um, with people that I used to be in a, you know, kind of a, a pastoral role in the past, you know, and they've kind of moved on. That's one thing about working with youth is that they kind of grow up and they move on and they get different pastors or they move to different towns and stuff like that. And sometimes people will come to me and say, what am I going to do about this situation? Did you know that they were in this? Would you say something to them? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to say anything to them. I'm, I'm not going to, that's, that's not my role. You know, I, I got to stay in my lane here. If somebody wants to talk to me about something, then I will give my advice. 
You know, if somebody wants me to enter into a situation, they'll invite me into a situation. But if you just go into something, even when you can see that something's unhealthy and say, hey, you're doing this poorly, basically no one wants to hear that. There's, there's almost nobody that wants you to show up and tell them how they're doing a situation poorly. If you think a harmful thing went down and you should have said something, there's always, you can, even like Matt said, even if that moment's passed, you can always go back and say, I really feel like I had a, you know, a nudge from the Lord or whatever, and I didn't say this, and I wish I had, but here's everything that I know about this. But most of the time, man, if it's drama, you need to stay as far away as you can. As Jed said, it, there's, a, there's, a phrase in, uh, there's a phrase in AA that they say, which is, your love is killing your loved one, where we just... You know, we just give and give and give to people, and they can't ever grow past it because they, as Jed said, they depend on your peacemaking. They depend on you making all their drama okay so they can live in perpetual drama because you're the one that's going to put the fire out, and that's not a healthy place to be. All very, very good stuff. I think a really great read on that aspect of this question. And Glenn, I'd love to get to close out here by looking at uh, the next one because when it comes to drama... There There's always another train of coming. Yeah. So, um, and let's let's look at the uh, the reality. It, it, as uh, this was either I should have said something and I didn't, or I shouldn't have gotten drawn into this, and I'm letting myself emotionally get drawn into that. Yeah. And again, we don't say any of that judgmentally. That's just sure. As people who've all been through this, we can kind of pretty starchly diagnose because I've done both of those personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so have I. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get let's get ready for the next one. There's going to be some kind mm. of a situation where these people or other people get tense at each other. And I'm somewhat in the middle of it. So what are my options and what are the good choices? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, let's, let's ask ourselves, you know, imagining we're in a similar situation. You've got two, two forks in the road here. One is to, to say uh, perhaps it's a great place for me to butt out and have nothing to do with this. It's, it's sure. between my sister and my mom. doesn't involve me. doesn't. Uh, you know, it doesn't, uh, I, it's, it's their business. I need to not be a, a part of that. And those times I enjoy, I intend to go in the next room and enjoy a nice, delicious ice cream sandwich. Yeah. Right. While you people sit here and argue. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I think if you determine that that's the, the better course, and sometimes it will be, then that's about resolving a, um, no one subsequently will have permission to draw me in. They will try and draw me in, and I will not be drawn in because you made the decision that was the best thing to let them it be between them. I think that's a great point and worth um, digging into a little further of, I think part of why someone may think that, well, this was clearly you know not stepping up or cowardice or whatever, is the concept that, well, if I'm not doing anything about it, that is inherently passive. Which right. you make a great point there that it oftentimes takes just as much character and courage to make the choice of I am st- staying out of this. That is the absolutely choice. right. Yeah, that's and there's going to be times when that's going to be the right thing, no question about it. Uh, I think in that case, uh, it, you know, using this as sort of a template here, it is about having a conversation with your sister, which is to say, I am aware of this, and if you make me keep your secret. Mom's going to resent me. And how do you feel about that? Uh-huh. Do you feel like maybe you want to go tell mom now? Well, no, I want to I want to keep it a secret. Okay. If mom finds out, and that's a real possibility, 
and she figures out that I knew, you're making me complicit in this with you. Are you comfortable with that? And if Sis says, yeah, I can live with that, then you say, okay, you are in a different category now. Because apparently, I'm looking out for you, and you're not looking out for me. Now, remind me why I'm keeping this secret for you again. I can't quite remember why that works. You know, so it, it's really about focusing on, on the sister and that, and that side of things. But there are times when I've been on the other side of that where I needed to step in. You know, along the lines of stuff that Joe was talking about, it was sort of an, a real emergency. There kind you of are going to go to jail for a long time if yeah. you do this. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, some of the ministry environments we find ourselves in, things get to a place of an emergency where you really need to speak up and say something and butt in and get involved in other people's business and all of that. And... Um, the thing is, I need the courage in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and when I say courage, let let me actually uh, zoom in on that and 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 define that a bit. Because here's the thing: is um, there are times when we have to do something really difficult, and we have to do all the prayer and do all the 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 work of sifting out whether this is definitely the right thing or not. If we get to that place, then uh, the part of the courage element of that is deciding I'm not going to feel my feelings all the mm-hmm. way through this. I'm not going to navigate, yeah. and I'm not going to let myself get emotionally overloaded with worry and fear and doubt and all that. You have to get to sort of a place of a mental toughness where you say, I know this is the right thing. It's not going to feel right, but I know it is right. Therefore... I am just going to, you know, put my head down, and I'm mm-hmm. going to barrel ahead, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm not going to let people sidetrack me with feelings and guilt trips and all these other kinds of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when we're talking about courage, we're really talking about that uh, sort of that determination to follow mm-hmm. through with the thing that you yeah. know the Lord's given you. Yeah, it's great. In a way, I've heard you uh, state that before and such things. We're talking about courage as a virtue not an emotion. We're not talking about yeah. the big adrenaline surge and stand up yeah. to that. And that is a way in which, as we're talking about whether the decision is to say something or to, uh, you know, keep your nose out of it, that, 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 uh, virtue of courage to put aside all the feelings and make the right move for everybody is where that kind of stuff comes in and where those overlap. And Jed, one more quick thing on this. Absolutely. Just to, to build on what both of you fellows are saying, give a little bit of context on how this works. If you're in one of those semi-emergency level situations where you do need to step in and say something, uh, the first thing to recognize is they will probably say no. To yeah. the thing that you are pitching. Yeah. You know, you and are, be angry at you about it. That's the second thing. You do this understanding, this is probably going to damage this relationship. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say, you're thinking of doing X. I'm begging you. I am pleading with you. Please do not do X. And the, the high likelihood is that their response will be, A, I'm super going to do X. And B, screw you for bringing this up to me. Who do you think you yeah. are? I'm going to do it That's double right. hard now. Exactly right. Exactly right. C, to give you one more thing related to this, and this is something Christians don't look at very often, is the time frame that's involved in a lot of this kind of stuff, how this often works. I had a situation where I had a friend, someone I cared very deeply about, who was doing something really inadvisable, and I just felt like the Lord was putting on my heart, I had to say something. And and I literally, I, I, I wanted to get it just right, so I actually put it in an email, because I wanted to have a record of what I had said, and I wanted to say it just right. And I said in the email, I understand if this is the end of our friendship. 
I don't, I don't blame you for that. I, you know, uh, uh, couldn't hold it against you. All the same, here's the thing. Please don't do X. This is, this is what I'm saying. Later, that person came to me and said, you were right. And I'm glad you spoke up and I'm, I'm grateful that you, you know, were, were there for me in that moment. Yeah. The time span between those two moments was 10 years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, and there was a lot of drama in their life. Right. Uh, and they did the thing I told them not to do. Right. Well, they, they always do the thing, Jed. They did X. They super did X. It super didn't work. They eventually came around. They were grateful for the input, blah, blah, blah. Ten years. Yeah. We, from watching Hallmark movies and Christian movies, we get an idea that we're going to have a dramatic conversation, and then like five minutes later, this is going to be fixed. That's not how this stuff works. I don't like it, but dang it, I respect you for saying it. <laughs> yeah. No. That never happens in real life. All sorts of great stuff about that. And as always, if uh, you there's anything there you feel needs further uh, clarification, feel free to email us offline or we can uh, do it on the show or I'll just write back to you. We're always happy to do follow-ups. And we will go to our third question here. This one comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox and it says, I have a practical problem. During arguments, I start raising my voice and end up screaming. How could I explain myself without ruining the whole thing? I just look so mad. Some of us have a resting face, which uh, makes it commiserate to this problem. <laughs> but Lee, why don't you start us off? I'd love to. Um, I know exactly what this feels like. I have heard this report about myself. Um, I, I know what it is to lose your cool. Um, the thing is, is that the the information that I was always working with, um, especially as a younger person, and sometimes still, um, was... The person who wins the argument is the person who has the loudest voice. Um, the, now, I believe that because that's the home I was raised in. Now, um, Lee, did you spend any time around a particular sport by any chance? Hmm, that's very interesting that you would suggest mm. that, Matt. I don't know why you would know anything about that. But, yeah, I mean, it, in, <laughs> in my house, it was it was the the argument ended when my dad screamed so loud that everyone was afraid the neighbors were going to come over. Um, you know, when we had a knockdown drag out, everybody on the neighborhood was invited, <laughs> you know, whether or not they wanted to be. And, um, and that was my, what psychologists would call my culture of origin. And so that's how, that's the way I thought you were supposed to do fights. Um, that's the way, and that's the way I thought you're supposed to do arguments. That's how you find out who's right is who's the loudest. Um, all that to say, I have learned um, after many, many years with an incredibly patient <laughs> and kind wife, um, and uh, and a wife who always who also stands up for herself and stands up against me in in the midst of all that patience. That um, hey, we both have a lot of feelings right now. We can't necessarily solve this right now, and I I bring that up to say this, my. My thought process has always been in the middle of a heated discussion or a disagreement. We have to solve all of the things about this immediately and uh, quell all feelings immediately. And I would like for that to be uh, I win. And so let's do that now. And I will get as loud as I need to make that the case. The thing that that bypassed was an idea that, that – uh, 
that a lot, not only did my wife say we have to start doing this, but also psychologists tell us it's super, super important is when you get into a tense situation or a disagreement, rather than explaining yourself or, or making your case, like you think you're like this cool headed lawyer from like the John Grisham novels. Um, when you are, when your adrenaline is up and your heart is pounding, you actually can't think clearly. You, that's, that's what we find out is you can't think, you can't see the other person, you can't do that relationship well. And what you've got to do is you've got to get good at in the midst of this kind of discussion of saying, you know what, I think we could both use a timeout. Um, whether that's go take a walk, go take a shower, go grab a sandwich. Sometimes you need calories. Sometimes you need to sit down for a minute. And there, so many, so many, so many psychologists, marriage experts will tell us as well that if, if your natural thing is to go into scream mode, then you need to be able to have – you need to grow the sense of self where you can say, I've got to pause right here. We're not going to solve this right now, and I need to take a break and just calm down the adrenaline. And then when the adrenaline wears off, then we can reapproach this conversation. And you would not believe how different it feels on the other side of that adrenaline. Because you can't just work it all right back up. You've already burnt it. So now your brain can actually think. And by the way, you can see the other person. One thing that um, Christy and I, one last little thing that Christy and I did real early in our marriage was we gave each other the permission to pull yellow cards, like in the game of soccer, when, hey, you, the volume is too loud. Um, hey, the face, little too intense. And so I'm pulling a yellow card. We're going to hit timeout, and we're going to go to our corners. See you in a minute when everybody's calmed down. That has been such a great thing. And then you come to find out later with psychologists, marriage experts, and ex- et cetera, et cetera, this is exactly the way that you want to handle this situation as far as if the adrenaline is up, if the blood is up, if the heart is pounding, you can't think you can't talk. You can't do that right. If that's your situation, and I feel you, my brother, because that's the, that's the home I grew up in, and that's my natural speed. Um, there's nothing better than taking a break, letting that adrenaline burn off, and then coming back into the conversation when you got a cool hit. Really fantastic stuff and a great place to start this conversation. And Glenn, I'd like to go to you here because uh, I've seen you deal with a certain amount of um, needing to be stern. Uh-huh. To make your case, yes, but not wanting to do that for various reasons. Some of them might mm-hmm. involve small small arms fire. Right, but you don't want to do that in a really kind of over the top ish way. Yeah, That's certainly something you teach your staff. But I think we fold in certainly what Lee's talking about about you know if you're if you're this is someone we're close to if we're in an interpersonal relationship then certainly all all those techniques Lee uh, speaks to are, are very important and they're important in a, a more cat ministry environment where it's not like you're necessarily going to see this person, you know, every night. So some mm-hmm. of this may be a little different tag. The, the techniques are the same, but I think we, we get there in a different way. And some of that starts with um, knowing your face and yes. knowing the level of fuse you have. So we don't yeah. get to this place. Right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I, I have a face that looks like I am bewildered by what the heck are you doing right now? What are you saying right now? What is this that I'm looking at and listening to? It's just my resting face. Sure. You know? And, uh, and so I, <laughs> so sometimes I have to explain my face, you know, sure. um, but part of what Lee is describing is, uh, 
helping couples understand it's not about getting learning uh, how to get along all the time. It's about learning how to be really good at fighting. If you can be really, right. really good at it, they they are very small and efficient, and uh, uh, you know they work. <laughs> they resolve yeah. issues. They, you know that kind of thing. Oh, you don't mean in the knife way that Jed was talking about earlier. You mean yeah, no. more, uh, well, argument that, as opposed to fighting. That's right. That's okay, right. One be clear. You'd be good at both. Yes, so, that's well, right. We're yeah. talking about the latter. Well, right yeah, now. yeah, good. I, I good at arguing. If, if if I could cut in for a second, Glenn, I, yeah. I, I just want to point out, knife? I love. I, yes, you're going to get cut. But I, I love that you said getting really good at fighting because I and I think this is important, especially for younger listeners, especially for folks who are, are not married yet and that kind of stuff. Is there is this idea, especially especially in Christian culture, but I think in for movies and stuff, it's in all kind of dating culture of like what I want is to find the person that we're made for each other, and we're so our chemistry is so great that and our goal is we'll just never fight. Right. And there's yeah. there's this goal out there. And rather yeah. than that, that a, a a better idea is what exactly what you're talking about of it's not that we'll never fight. It's not that we won't disagree. It's that we do that stuff well. As you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, and and people like yourself Lee who who counsel people who are on the brink of divorce or have recently got divorced, you hear this one fairly regularly. You know, we never fought. Yeah. Well, that's this is yeah. you were repressing everything, and then yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. I can't stand you, and now I'm out. So, yeah, the, the the arguing is good, but what I like this is how you get good at arguing is you build in a lot of smart rules, like what Lee's talking that's about right. with the yellow, yellow card thing. Uh, one of the things that it took us, I'm ashamed to say, how long it took us to understand this, but doing sort of as you're getting because you get that you know like there's like fussing. But sure. then there's that's like the the warm up. That's like sure. where the wrestlers are circling each other. Absolutely, you know that kind of thing. But then it's like okay, fight is on. Sure. Okay, right at that moment, um, what I've learned to do and what what we've learned to do together is to do a very quick check in on how did we get here. Sure. There are many times where we'll get right into the verge of a fight, and I, you know, I'm checking in and I'm saying, okay, here's what you need to know. I am frustrated about this situation, so frustrated, I, I want to put my head through this wall. It's killing me. And I am, I am frustrated already, and I'm frustrated about this whole other thing that doesn't have anything to do with you. That's about 80% of my frustration right now. About 20% is this thing that we're dealing with here. You're you're seeing all hundred percent of that on my face <laughs> and in my you. attitude. It's all aimed at you because you're the only one in the room. Uh, so so uh, now there is the twenty. Though let's not discount the twenty. <laughs> the, the 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 twenty is you, and, and unfortunately that's also the part that's kicking it over the top. So you know there's there's a lot of unfairness that's happening here, uh, but there is the and I want you to dismiss eighty percent of my face. But I really would like you to pay attention to the other 20 because yeah. I can't afford to have that 20. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, there's, there was uh, yesterday we, uh, uh, or day before, somewhere in there, Jane and I were sitting down, and we're just going to talk about regular stuff. But I had a, a headache going, and I could just feel my face being really, really <laughs> A mighty grimace coming across <laughs> Yeah, and I, just as she was sitting down, I said, I've, just, I've got a bad headache. I have a look on my face. It's not you. It's not the stuff that we're going to talk about. 
I don't mind talking about it. I, I may I may be a little more detached than I, hard to focus on stuff or whatever. But that kind of stuff really, really helps. Find as many of those kind of techniques mm-hmm. as you possibly can. Uh, speak up sooner. That's the big one. It, yeah. You know, 80% of the relationship problems I'm dealing with is you've let this go too far. You repressed, repressed, repressed. Now it's coming out 10 times harder and uglier and nastier. You're, it's on your face. You're, you're yelling, you're shouting, and all of that. Um, it's important to figure out what it is that you're really angry about as, as well in that. So speaking up a little sooner uh, and doing so with a calmer voice actually helps things. Uh, you know, real super quick story. When I was a, a prison chaplain, I worked uh, with juveniles. It was a juvenile lockup facility. And... It was by far and away the most violent facility I've been in, even to this day, you know, working with adults and everything. There were more full-on riots and violent episodes in that facility than anywhere else. And um, keeping a lid on that uh, during chapel service was really quite a, quite, a, quite a thing. I managed to do a pretty darn good job, but it took everything that I had. And there were times when you you had to yell at somebody. You had to tell them, hey, you don't do that to him, whatever, this kind of thing. Um, But I noticed there was this woman there that worked there. She was a caseworker supervisor. And when that woman walked into a room, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody moved. Nobody breathed. Nobody even thought of doing something hinky in her presence. And I, I just said, I want, I want whatever that. How do you do that? Sure, whatever dark magic's going on over there, I gotta get me some. Exactly. Now here's the, and she was tough, just a tough. She looked tough. She had a tough look on her face. She was tough. I said, man, I want, I want to get some of that. But here's what happened. They moved her office so that her office was on the other side of the wall from my chaplain's office, so I could hear her through the wall. Now, she hauled one kid after another into that office of hers. She walked him in, sat down, shut the door, and she said, Now, sweetie, why are you acting this way? You know you're only hurting yourself. You know that we all care for you. I'm like, wait a second. She's being nice in there. <laughs> that's, that's what the tedious thing I've ever heard of. I mean, she I mean, she never raised her voice. Never. There. Never. I mean, it was always, always this quiet, you know, and we can't have you acting like that. You know we can't have that. You know you got to stop it, don't you? I mean, just I was stunned, and that you realize that she had an attitude of once you raise your voice, you actually lost that argument, as, sure. as Lee is kind of alluding to mm. the, that sense of uh, of when you're right and you know you're right, you don't have to you know put all that emphasis behind it, and pe- you're you're drawing people in and you're giving them a chance to explain, and you're getting more dialogue going. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, if you ever watched, if you've ever watched an old like Bruce Lee movie. Or, you know, he never yelled. Yeah. Oh, Everyone else right. is yelling. He was one going, you don't want to do that. That's right. That's, that's how you communicate a little bit. And uh, Jed, I'd love to get you to, to close, close out here and let's take this, some of this good stuff we've learned, but let's move it maybe slightly out a circle from, as we're talking about, you know, close personal relationships, people you're dating, family members, because certainly that is a, a place where we want to use a lot of these techniques and yeah. a lot of this is going to come up. But I think there is also the, um, we can't discount this being the, you know, just person I'm talking to in class or, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get, use the coupon at the thing. And those are, 
legitimately situations where people can find themselves blowing up and really knowing what's not knowing what's leading to that. So how do we take what we've learned about these close personal relationships and kind of apply those to a way we carry ourselves in general? That's a great question. Well, here's one of the things. I don't know that it's all of it, but it's certainly a factor that I think may be going on is Lee said that there are plenty of families where the person who yells the loudest wins. And that's absolutely right. One of the things that often happens in those kind of families, those kind of relational networks, is we start to believe that until we are loud and yelling, we are not being heard Hmm. and we are not being understood. And to be clear, one of the most basic human needs in the world is to be heard and understood, Mm -hmm. right or wrong. I think it's a great point. I would add to that. Um, it's also easy to come out of one of those situations and think I am not expressing displeasure in the way someone else can pick up on that. If I'm not screaming my face off. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. My, my emotional state is not being received. Mm -hmm. It is not being picked up on. My priorities are not being heard and being evaluated unless I'm screaming. That's, that's the only way to know for sure that, uh, that it's all – how will the gal at the cash register know that I'm displeased about them not honoring my expired coupon unless I'm screaming? Sure. It's, it's hard to know. sell it. So given that, I want to suggest a, an exercise for you to try that I think will, will be useful. You can do this with a significant other. You can also just do it with a close friend. But take something that you feel frustrated about. Probably not something that you're furiously angry about, but something that you, you have a notable, you know, mild frustration about. And the, the experiment is sit down with your friend, just the two of you, and in as quiet, and controlled of a voice as you can, explain to them how you feel about the situation. Walk them through it. Quiet, controlled voice. And about every two minutes, pause and let them repeat back to you what you've just been saying. Hmm. Let them repeat back to you what they hear you describing and what you, uh, the emotional stuff you're dealing with and the frustrating elements that you're dealing with. And go all the way through that. And here's what I think you'll find is that person perfectly understood yeah. everything you described. You were talking at a completely normal, calm voice. You weren't yelling. You weren't cussing. You weren't losing control. And you were completely and totally understood. And you can do that exercise again. You can, you can keep going with that. But Matt, as you said, in just kind of regular life, one of the things that can help a lot is to have in our brain, and this is a good way to get it into our brain, people understand where I'm coming from without me yelling. People yeah. get how I feel about a situation without me yelling. That doesn't mean they agree. And that doesn't mean they're going to give me what I want. And that doesn't mean it's going to go my way. But... My side of this is being understood at least, you know, a bit, and therefore I can relax with the volume and I can relax with the intensity. But I would start with that exercise and give yourself permission to do that a few times so you really have it in your head. No, I can, I can speak calmly and relaxed and, and no stress and pressure, and people do hear and understand what I'm dealing with. I think it's a fantastic point. I would, I would close this out by saying, and you, you mentioned even in your question, you know, but I have a practical problem when we gave a lot of practical solutions to that because that's mainly what this is, but Jed has also kind of given us that step of there are obviously a lot of emotional issues that go on with this, and mm-hmm. there are some spiritual issues too. You know, yep. Paul actually talks a good bit about anger, uh, Jesus as well, but little things like, you know, we've all heard of don't the sun go down in your anger, and, you know, if someone sins against you, take, 
tell them, and if they do it again, take a few people. And they, these are all good, uh, really good bedrocks for how we deal with this. And those do lead to practical things about you know get to it early, don't let things stew, don't have the the conversation as Glenn is saying. Don't don't have the argument with your spouse about the thing that happened at work because mm-hmm. that's not actually fair. You should have dealt with the people at work and with that. So there's a lot of good stuff. As Glenn often points out, you know, you are mind, body, and spirit. And if we have a, a, a issue like this, which I get the sense, and again, I all four if it was all four of us, Debbie plus me, I grew up in a house with a lot of yelling. Mm-hmm. Grew up around extracurricular activities with a lot of yelling. Um, <laughs> that's not happy people. That's not people who I really have any peace. So we want to look at. You know, as we're saying here, what, what's going on with my emotions? What's going on with as far as my tiredness and my physicality? And but what's going on spiritually? What mm-hmm. what do I not feel about as Jed's talking about stuff about about worth and you know value and that kind of stuff? And none of that is is too far afield or too kind of touchy feely. That 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 applies to why you lose your temper on the person taking your coupon. It actually really does. So we do want to build from the ground up on that. And uh, you heard a lot of great stuff on how to do that. So if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, or take out the song this week. This will be close out our Christmas music season. We'll take you out with a version of Oh Holy Night, unlike any you've ever heard yes. before. It's from Woo. our friend, the pool house guru. So take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, so we good. love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, insisting that Moses butt out of Christmas, stick to Passover, beardy. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, oh.